Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, please, this morning and turn to the book of Romans, the 15th chapter, Romans chapter 15. We're continuing a series of messages under the theme, Awed by His Attributes. Today, we're going to be looking at the patience and the long-suffering of God. And so we do that by opening our Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, A.W. Pink, in his commentary on the attributes of God, says, Far less has been written on the patience of God than any other of His excellencies. It is not easy to suggest a reason for this, for surely the long-suffering of God is as much one of the divine perfections as is His wisdom, His power, His holiness and as much to be admired as revered by us. In fact, the great Puritan, John Macduff, says, there's no study of God which more impressively presents to our view the infinity of His nature than the study of His perfections. That's what we've been doing in recent weeks, studying His perfections, His characteristics, excellencies, His attributes. Macduff continues, Among those perfections, there is not one which perhaps more strikingly illustrates that infinity than is patience. Our God is infinitely patient. Our theme is found in the 15th chapter of the book of Romans this morning, where the Spirit of God identifies God as the God of patience. You know, we're familiar with the term the God of comfort, but seldom do we think about the God of of patience. But follow along, please, as we read, beginning in Romans 15, the fourth verse. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may be with one mind and one mouth glorifying God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to present this morning the God of patience so that our hearts might be awed by the patience of our great God. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word. Father, this morning we pray that Your Word would meet its mark by the power of Your Spirit. Lord, there is none of us who could ever anticipate what every heart in this room represents this day. And yet, you are the discerner of the thoughts and intents of every heart. So, dear Spirit of God, illumine those hearts by your word, that your work would be done in your power, that your word would encourage, exhort, challenge, lift up your people and those who have gathered in this place to hear it shared, so that eternal work is done here today, that as we look at the infinite patience of our great God, that we would look carefully and apply personally through the power of the Spirit the truths that are enunciated here in your word today. Lord, that we wouldn't go out from this place saying, well, we've done our duty this week and fulfilled a tradition. Rather, that we would lay hold and seize upon your truth today as it's presented in your word, that we go out from this place encouraged and better able to practice our faith and more anticipating your coming that we might desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, bless your people this morning. 
Thank you for keeping us safe in the coming here. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us with freedom in this country to be people of the Word, anticipating the coming of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Man was heard to say, I had my patience tested today. It came back negative. (laughs) Who hasn't thought, if he says that one more time, I'm going to scream, or if she does that again, I'm out of here. Now, I'm sure there's not a parent in this place who has ever said, okay, listen, I'm going to count to three. You don't operate like that, do you? Truth is, most of us find ourselves much like Hoover Dam, all pent up often inside, ready to explode, trying to hold back our outburst, and then suddenly something happens. We find ourselves reaching our limits, and the poison of our passion seems to pollute so many relationships. Aren't you glad that God is patient? Aren't you glad that God is patient with you? God, along every day of your life, in his kindness, his infinite patience, patience exercises that patience in his personal relationship with you. Again, A.W. Pink said, the patience of God is the excellency which causes him to, to sustain great injuries without immediately avenging himself. John McDuff defines God's patience as God's power over himself, allowing him to bear with sinners, forbearing long in punishing them. Psalm 103 says in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. God's mercy is often connected with his patience in Scripture. But these two attributes differ from one another. God in mercy views us as pitiful, and he's kind toward us. God in patience, in his patience he views us as guilty, and he's long-suffering toward us. Thank the Lord for his patience. A friend, you should never, listen, you should never presume upon the patience of God. You should never presume upon the patience of God. In order to keep us from presuming upon God's patience this morning, I want us to open our Bibles and consider how God's patience is declared. And then we're going to see how God's patience is illustrated. And finally, how God's patience is applied. How is God's patience declared? Oh friend, it's declared over and over and over again in the Bible. In the book of Nehemiah, the ninth chapter, the 17th verse, Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Someone has said, patience is the quality that causes you to hate the driver in front of you while admiring the one that's behind you. I heard somebody say they've defined the shortest period of time known to man. It's the time between the changing of the light to green and the honking of the horn behind you. Most of us realize we're not cut out for patience. We live in an instant everything generation. In the morning, I have instant oats. I check my instant messages. I put earbuds in and listen to a podcast as I walk, and I put the podcast on double time. That really bugs my wife. And don't look at me like that. 
You all know that you're just as prone as I am to being a very impatient person. We've fostered an impatient culture. Everything is so readily available to us. So it's hard for us to understand, and yet necessary for us to understand, that our God is a God of patience. The 145th Psalm, the 8th verse, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. In the Old Testament, God's patience is frequently described with this phrase, He's slow to anger. In fact, in Joel 2 and verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God, for He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. In Jonah 4, Jonah is complaining to God because God has spared Nineveh when Jonah went there and preached. And Jonah 4 and verse 2, Jonah says, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. In Nahum 1 and verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger. In the New Testament, God's patience is often described with the word long-suffering. 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, Peter speaks of the flood. And he says, the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing. God was patient. He was long-suffering. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, we read, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The word long-suffering in our English Bibles comes from a Greek word, It's the Greek word macrothumia. Macro means long. Thumia means to hold one's temper. And so even as the Old Testament speaks of God's slowness to anger, the New Testament reiterates that, that God has the capacity, God has the patience to endure while holding back the forces of His justice, while holding back his His anger toward us. In all the examples of God's power, there's perhaps none more wonderful than how His power is exemplified in His capacity to hold back His anger. That God has power over Himself. His omnipotence is over His omnipotence. You see, in, in the justice of God, God's heart cries out, for punishment. In the love of God, God's heart cries out for sinners to be forgiven. And it's the patience of God that holds back the justice of God and cooperates with the love of God so that this morning we serve a patient God. Second Peter 3 says in verse 15, we ought to account that the long-suffering of God is salvation. That the moments that we enjoy here on earth, in this compendium of time that God does not live in, these moments where His patience is exhibited toward us are moments that give us the benefit of opportunity for salvation. I've ridden elephants in a couple of different countries. I've ridden elephants in India, and I've ridden elephants in Cambodia. Of course, in both those countries, I was riding Asian elephants. 
An Asian elephant grows to be about four tons. An Asian elephant stands about nine feet tall. An Asian elephant can be trained and that power can be harnessed to take in timber and do all kinds of road work along the way. I've also been in Zambia. In Zambia, we paused as the largest animal on earth walked by, an African elephant. An African elephant is 12 feet tall. An African elephant grows two tons bigger than the Asian elephant, and people don't tame the African elephant. The African elephant is a huge bundle of strength, six tons of brute force that doesn't benefit anyone but himself because his power is not tameable. Folks, the omnipotence of God is a power that God tames by his patience and makes available to us as we pray. When we speak about our omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God and recognize that he ministers in patience to us, not impatiently, but in patience to us. We ought to have underlined in our souls, our God is a God who is patient. Romans chapter 15 declares him so. He is declared to be the God who is patient. But friend, you should never presume upon God's patience. You should never take God's patience for granted. In fact, When you take God's patience for granted, you run the risk of the spoiling of your soul and the risk of encountering the greatness of His judgment. For we see throughout the pages of God's Word, God's patience is illustrated. It's illustrated for our instruction. Romans 15, the passage that we read this morning, notes that these Old Testament accounts are given to us for our instruction, and so we want to highlight some of the illustrations of God's patience as they're discovered in the pages of the Old Testament, so that we, in getting to know our God better, might serve Him with wisdom. The story is often told of the atheistic professor who stood in his class and he said, well, God, if you're there, I dare you to strike me dead in the next five minutes. The atheistic professor did not prove that God wasn't there. What the atheistic professor was proving was God is patient. God is patient. The proof of that is found throughout the pages of his, of his Word. And while we would try to put God on a human timer, he, He's not subject to our human time frames. He operates outside of our human time frames. But get this, He does maintain a divine clock. A divine clock is maintained in His work toward us. Over and again, throughout the pages of the Bible, you're going to read this phrase, His mercy endures forever. Forty-one times that phrase comes up. In fact, in the 136th Psalm, 26 times you're going to read in that one Psalm alone, His mercy endures forever. And the Bible tells us even in judgment, God remembers mercy. God's mercy toward men is eternal. God's patience toward men has a termination point. God's patience toward us has a termination point. Now, don't get me wrong. God's character is eternally patient. Yet, 
his patience for sinners runs out. And when his patience for sinners runs out, his judgment is always seen, severely seen. And so we take our Bibles and go this morning to the book of Genesis, please. The book of Genesis in the sixth chapter. And in Genesis chapter 6, we discover that God was patient. He was patient with the world for 120 years before he sent the flood. Genesis chapter 6. I want you to look carefully with me at what's happening in Genesis chapter 6 as we see the patience of God illustrated. In Genesis 6 and verse 3 we read, And the Lord said, My spirit is, shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. God has a termination point to his patience. He declares it. In Genesis 6 and verse 7, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Genesis 6 and verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Then we read in the book of Genesis that God initiated a large-scale construction project with Noah. It was such a large-scale construction project that no one could avoid seeing it. And I'm sure that Noah put up with many gawkers every day. After all, there's nothing more exciting than watching a building go up and nothing more impressive than watching the ark as it goes up. And what was Noah's responsibility as the gawkers came by to look at that ark in its construction? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3 and verse 5 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So God gave Noah a double commission. Build the ark and preach. Tell the world that my patience is about to run out. Tell them that they should not presume upon my patience. Have you watched current events happening and found yourself wondering, where's God in all this? Why doesn't God do something? After all, violence is skyrocketing in our cities. But the Bible assures us that God is doing something. The 121st Psalm says the God of Israel never slumbers and he never sleeps. So right now God is exercising patience. He's exercising patience. He's not forgotten what's happened. He's not missed what's happened. God's not moved as yet, it seems, upon our nation in ultimate judgment. But that doesn't mean God has forgotten. It doesn't mean God is unaware. And it doesn't mean that sinners are not responsible. Our Almighty God could strike sinners down in a moment, but He waits for just the right moment. He waited for 120 years before the flood came, and He's waiting today before judging. And the Bible tells us one day His patience runs out. God was patient with Israel for generations before He sent judgment upon them. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus, the 34th chapter. Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus 34, we find our patient God inviting Moses to come up to Mount Sinai a second time. And there I pause and see, I already see the patience of God. You'll remember how Moses came down with the tablets the first time and smashed them because he saw God's people in their sin. But God has invited him up in Exodus 34, to Mount Sinai a second time. And in verse 1, God says, 
Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And in verse 2, be ready in the morning and come up. Now look at verse 6. Exodus 34 and verse 6. The Bible tells us, And the Lord passed by before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. I want you to underline in your mind the next word. Long-suffering. God introduced himself to Moses as the God of patience. Moses is going to remember that, and you should too. Moses is going to make that revelation very practical, and we should too. Turn over to the book of Numbers, the 14th chapter, and find out how this self-revelation of God spoke to Moses, and how Moses used his knowledge of God's long-suffering In Numbers chapter 14, notice the second verse. The children of Israel are complaining, they're murmuring, they're upset. In Numbers 14 and verse 2, this is what they say, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Then in verse 3, almost unimaginable, the children of Israel say, Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? What? The children of Israel have experienced the ten plagues. They've seen the Red Sea parted. They've seen Pharaoh's army destroyed. They've seen God provide for them water and manna, direction with the light in the sky by night, or by day rather, by by night in the cloud by day. Along the way, he's always been there. And yet they want to go back to Egypt. You ever met a believer like that? They've seen God's blessing, forgiveness of sin, the presence of the Holy Ghost, engulfed in the joy of ministry, the opportunity for fellowship with the saints, a hope of an eternal home. They look back at the world and say, you know, I kind of like to go back. Here in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, that's the heart's desire of the people of Israel. And they had a plan, verse 4. They said one to another, let us make a captain and let's return to Egypt. The Bible tells us that Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb began to reason with the children of Israel and tell them, that that is not wise. You don't want to go back to the land of slavery. You don't want to go back and suffer under Pharaoh's domain. God has given us wonderful promises. He has shown us his power. He's promised us a future. You don't want to go back. That's what they shared with the children of Israel. Look how the children of Israel responded, verse 10. The people bade stone them with stones. Let's kill them. You ever talk to a Christian who's out of the path of the Lord and encourage them to come back and find yourself threatened by them? Find the response to be something other than you expected? Here's how God responds. Numbers 14 and verse 12, God becomes so agitated with the situation, he offers to punish them, and he says this to Moses, I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And in Numbers 14, Moses turns down an eternal opportunity. God says, Moses, I'm going to wipe out this nation of Israel, and I'm going to let you survive, and I'm going to make a new nation out of you. And Moses is horror-stricken. He begins to pray. 
He's praying for his fellow Israelites. He's praying for God to be patient. How would you appeal to God for a friend who is out of the way? A believer who's fallen astray? How would you pray? Do you pray that God would judge them? God's promise to those who have gone astray, those that are his sons, he will chasten and scourge everyone that he receives. Do you pray for God's chastening? Do you pray for God's mercy? Listen to how Moses reasons with God in prayer. In verse 13, Moses says, God, what will the Egyptians think? What will the Egyptians think if you destroy these people? Then in verses 14 and 15, Moses says, And God, what about all the nations? What will all the nations think? These that are surrounding us right now, if, if you destroy these people. Then in verses 17 and 18, Moses comes to a powerful conclusion in this prayer for God to preserve the people of Israel. This is how he prays. Verse 17, And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering, great in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Moses had not forgotten what God had said to him when he went up on Mount Sinai the second time. In fact, now Moses says, Lord, let your power be great and let your power be revealed this way through the power of omnipotence over omnipotence that your patience would prevail. God answers the prayer of Moses. God remains patient, but he promises still in patience to judge Israel. Verse 22, God says, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they will not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. In essence, God is saying, because I'm patient, I'm not going to eradicate the whole nation. I'm not going to do it right this moment. Instead, I'm going to let them wander in the wilderness until they've fallen by my hand. God is saying, Moses, I'm going to be patient, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to exercise my wrath against their sin. How do you pray for someone who's gone astray? Do you pray like Moses? Lord, be patient with them. Lord, yet let your mercy be known to them. Lord, I know that your word promises that, your, that those who sin will be found out. But Lord, in wrath, remember mercy and show your strength by your patience. In verse 23, God says, these people have tempted me ten times. God, God keeps record. God keeps record about your situation and mine. God knows the promises that we've made and gone back on. God knows the pleasures that we've sought after, which provoke his wrath. God knows the habits that hold us back. Be careful. The patience of God should never be seen as neglect. God's not neglectful. He's always aware. Ecclesiastes 8 says in verse 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set to do evil. Well, I got away with it that time, and evil persists. But the book of Numbers reminds us in chapter 32 and verse 23, be sure your sins will find you out. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And one day, he's going to say, no more. 
After 120 years, the flood came. Even though Moses prayed for the people who provoked God those ten times, yet the generation had to fall in the wilderness. God may have brought you into this service this morning. That this would be the day for your salvation. Having grown up in a Christian home, having heard the gospel day in and day out, having gone to a church where an invitation is given every week, yet you persisted in not receiving and knowing that God's wrath abides. And today the Lord is appealing to you, don't presume upon the patience of God. There's a line by us not seen that comes to every path, the hidden boundary between his patience and his wrath. Never presume upon the patience of God. His patience is declared, it's illustrated, and when it's properly applied, it changes our lives. Come with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. As we see the patience of God applied. I found that the careful consideration of every single attribute of God is life-changing. When we consider the holiness of God, it impacts our daily decisions. When we consider the omnipresence of God, it gives us strength for our journey. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. When we consider the mercy of God, it humbles our hearts to realize that we are so unworthy. When we consider the patience of God, there are lessons for us to learn. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, we learn one of those primary lessons. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, the Spirit of God shines a light on something that every one of us ought to know. 2 Peter 3 and verse 3 we read, Knowing this, there shall come in, last, in the last days scoffers who walk after their own lusts. Notice what verse 4 predicts about these scoffers. What they will say in their scoffing. Verse 4 tells us they'll say, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 4 is the foundational argument of the theory of evolution. Verse 4 is something called uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism teaches that the earth's surface has been gradually formed by sedimentation and gradual erosion. So what you see has happened over millions of years. It's all uniform. What you see now has been happening for years and years. All things continue, verse 4, as they were since the beginning of creation. Verses 5 and 6, the mask of uniformitarian evolution is torn off. We read, for this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that was then, being overflowed with water, perished. In other words, the scoffers will not see the evidence of the flood. In verse 7, God warns, the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. In other words, God is right now holding back His judgment. Why? Because He's patient. And verse 10 warns, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also, and the works therein, shall be burned up unexpectedly, unavoidably, inescapably. The fire of God's wrath is going to one day come, and all these things that we see, it says, will be burned up. 
Just a few days ago, the United States of America marked the 47th anniversary of Roe versus Wade legalizing abortion. They estimate that 62 million American babies have been ripped from the wombs of their mothers because Roe v. Wade was made allowable 47 years ago. And we ask the question, why hasn't God judged our nation? Five years ago, the Supreme Court of the United States legalized same-sex marriage. Today, they say there are some one million Americans who are involved as same-sex couples. It's legal, but it's still immoral. And we ask, why hasn't God judged our nation? Why hasn't his wrath fallen? Friend, do you realize that globally, pornography is a $97 billion a year industry that pollutes the minds of the world's population? And we ask the question, why has God not judged the world? But let's bring it closer to home. You've grown up hearing the gospel week in and week out. You've had the opportunity to answer an invitation that God has given for you to be saved day in and day out. Why hasn't God judged you? Because God is patient. But first, Second Peter rather 3 and verse 9 presents a powerful warning. Look at what we read. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But as long-suffering to us, where he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why has God been patient? To give you an opportunity to return from your sin, to give you an opportunity to come to Christ as Savior. God's patience right now is holding back his wrath because he doesn't want anyone to perish. The book of Ezekiel says in chapter 33 and verse 11, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So why did the sun come up this morning? The sun came up this morning for the Lord to build His church. The sun came up this morning so that you'd have another opportunity to trust Christ as Savior. The sun came up this morning for you to experience the glory of His patience and turn away from the fearsomeness of His wrath. The sun came up this morning so that God can know the blessing of seeing you can know the blessing of seeing salvation in your life by coming to Christ as Savior. Moment by moment, day by day, he's building his church. Moment by moment, day by day, the body of Christ is being formed. And yes, there's coming a day when that last cell in the body of Christ, that last soul will be saved. And the Word of God tells us King Jesus is going to rapture the church from this earth and his patience will have run out. Don't presume upon the patience of God. If you're not sure of salvation, will you come this morning and come to know Him? Whom to know is life everlasting. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. What you've heard has been an encouragement to you. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. And we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.